Right. Well, welcome, Indy. It's you. such a pleasure to have you. So, um, just a little bit of of a story here. Indy actually approached us um, two weeks after we released our first episode, and he wanted to uh, sponsor the podcast. So um, he was the first one that believed in us. I guess, <laughs> literally, actually, before yeah. we even thought that this could be a good idea. He was like, "This is amazing." <laughs> So it feels honestly, so good. Yeah, they've been supporting us ever since and it has been really amazing and we're finally getting to sit down with Andy himself. Yes. He's so excited. Yes. Um, I'm trying to be here. I'm nervous. Please <laughs> <laughs> don't be. It will just be a casual conversation for the most part. Um, so to start off with, if you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yeah the background of your career, how you ended up where you are. Where yeah, you're from, because you do yeah, have an true. accent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no so, um, Andrew McGregor, I'm the Managing Director for Design and Build Recruitment. Um, by the name, we have focused since 2004 on construction and engineering recruitment, predominantly to the private sector. Um, I am also a director of a business called Public Sector People, which is led by my business partner, Tom. PSP has been had its own identity now since 2019, so it's five years old next year, which is really exciting. That was born out of design and build in terms of recruiting for construction engineering, but has now become more multidisciplined, supporting local, state and federal government across the country. Um, excited to say we've got four offices. We're approaching 90 team members across the country, which is incredible. Um, my own career, I've been in recruitment now for coming on 17 years as of two weeks' time. Um, yeah. Clearly, when I started this, I was a lot younger, skinnier, better looking. Than <laughs> um, but look, um, recruitment for me has um, been able to provide me a pathway to where I am today. And um, I've been fortunate to support the predominantly the engineering construction space over those 17 years. Um, and I'm based in Sydney and I've got a beautiful wife and two children at home. Oh, Congratulations. A year, 17 year, yeah, milestone. That's a big one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think the highlights of working in this industry have been, if you want to mention a few? Yeah, look, um, I think um, when I started this, you never knew where it could take you. Um, for me, I um, didn't apply myself at school or university. In fact, I went to university for two days. Um, oh, wow. That's no another way. story for another time. Um, <laughs> and um, so I probably had put myself in a bracket of not going to do much of my life, but subsequently um, found out about recruitment got into recruitment and then over obviously 17 years have managed to relocate to Australia, live in Sydney, a beautiful city in the world, a bit nicer than Gold Coast and Brisbane um, <laughs> and have achieved Sorry. so much in that time. Um, I think some highlights for me obviously were the relocation to, to Australia in the first place. But interestingly, um, I actually recruited four civil engineers in the UK and um, one chap in particular, I placed him in a job with um, WSP back in 2008 he was subsequently my best man at my wedding. Oh, wow. Later. Um, so I think one of the highlights for me always in, in this industry is that you're able to forge genuine relationships with people and become friends um, because recruitment is a very personal thing to a lot of people. Um, you know, when I present to any new starters at Design and Builder, particularly associates who have never recruited before, the first thing I put up is a picture of my family, my friends, um, you know, ex-colleagues, um, and I try to remind people that not only are you placing one individual, but the effect you're having on that person, their wider network is is huge. Um, you know, and then when you consider, I've likely placed hundreds, if not thousands, probably hundreds of candidates over the last 17 years, that's thousands of lives affected. So as you get a bit older and you start to have your own family and, you know, start raising your own children, you, you come to understand that recruitment can be a career. And recruitment done well can genuinely put you in a position where you can make a lot of friends um, and, and really enjoy a fantastic life. But when all said and done, you're also impacting people's own lives as well. So that's a few highlights. Wow. I like that. I really do because um, a lot of the times when it comes to like, you know, looking for a job and things like that can be very transactional mm. and you forget the human element of it. And I think mm. there's nothing nicer than like talking to someone that actually cares about you and your career mm. progression. Mm. Yeah, yeah look, and, um, I wouldn't want to say ever that I think recruitment doesn't have its issues and its challenges. Um, it's a hard industry. Um, it is 
you know, I, I'll give you an example. I was speaking to a colleague who recently left and they said they, they actually were an engineer. They said in engineering, you can generally do A, B, C and you'll get D. The outcome will happen. Whereas in recruitment, you can do everything right and right at the end it won't happen mm. because your product is a person. And what you are selling is a person, an idea, but you're also selling a job, you're selling a manager. All the variables are there. So it's an incredibly hard job. Mm. And I think at times it does become very transactional. And then ultimately the candidate or the client can be left feeling pretty um, pretty raw about that. Yeah. Um, so look, um, when you do find those good recruiters, those ones that do care, keep on to them, latch on to yeah. them, because they'll be the ones that will help you throughout your career. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um we wanted to talk about something that it's like the biggest issue that um, the industry is probably facing at the moment, mm. which is um, not just attraction, but retention in particular with females. Um, but before we jump into that, you do have a passion in diversity and inclusion. And I wanted you to tell the audience um, what you shared um, in our first meeting. Where it stemmed from originally was I was sat in a room with five Andes. And the problem with that is that there are five Andes, so there's no diversity of thought um, in terms of understanding what the world looks like through lots of different lenses. Yeah. And yeah. clearly for me, that wasn't going to enable us to get to us where we wanted to go. Um, and our business vision is to be the most trusted recruitment agency in Australia. Wow. And I didn't see us doing that by having five Andes in the room plus mm. me. Um, so that was incredibly important. Um I think also as my career's developed, I've seen a lot of females in particular be burnt out by construction and some really high performers and high potential performers be burnt out, which is a real disappointment. Mm. Um, my wife operates within the construction in engineering industry um, and has at times probably been not treated particularly well by some. Um, and I've got a baby girl now. And I would like to be in a position in 18 to 21 years' time where I talk about the industry positively as an opportunity for for her because the industry has continued to adapt and grow. Um, so whilst there was one reason originally, which was it was fundamentally the right thing to do to promote your podcast, because what you were trying to do was, for me, just fantastic in terms of raising awareness. Um, but ultimately now I think there's a sense of, okay, I've got a little girl who at times in, in the future who's going to want to sort of seek out a career. But also I think second to that, I'm seeing far too many females leave the industry. Mm. Even the last two years, a number of people have applied for roles with design and build who were in the industry. And I've said, why are you applying for roles? And it's like, it's just not a nice industry mm. um, to work in at times and the stress that it brings is too much. Um, so there's a multitude of reasons. But firstly, it was um, when I sat in that room and there was five of me, I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to look at five of me. <laughs> um, yeah, now, you know, unfortunately, that's something to know. We sat in our senior leaders last last week, and um, in, in our senior leadership group, there's now 45% female, wow. um, which is fantastic to provide that diversity of thought, mm. which is, is critical because um, recruitment is one aspect of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you First of all, if five of you is as progressive as you, that's not a bad thing. First of all, <laughs> that would be pretty great. <laughs> um, but also, I like that you talked about how, yeah, it did look very uniform. And a lot of the times we hear, so this is the question that I was talking about, is that it's just because that's the nature of the people who are best suited for it. And therefore, yeah. that's all it attracts, which is sort of like um, an argument people use that, oh, females are not necessarily made for this because nature and nurture things are a little bit different do you think mm -hmm. that that's a reason why women aren't really attracted to this industry it just doesn't align with yeah look i think that's preconditioning um through as you grow up um in that obviously you know i'm 40 years old now i know you can't tell <laughs> not a day over 20 <laughs> and it's changed now which is great and it's it's, it's it's changing but i went to toys r us as a child and you would not see female Lego, right? Uh, you wouldn't see female um, on boys' toys. There'd be boys' toys and there'd be girls' toys. There'd be very clear delineation between the two. Mm. And so we were preconditioned into these roles. Um, and so I am aware that it will take time, but that doesn't mean you give up. You've got to consistently promote 
and drive the message that it's um, it's an opportunity for all. And ultimately, when we're talking about talent retention and attraction, well, if we don't do the things that we need to do, well, less people will be interested in engineering the construction or STEM careers in the future. Mm. So the talent shortage is only going to get worse. Um, but yeah, certainly for me, um, we're all preconditioned early on. And it's interesting for a long, long time ago, I talked about what can we do around, and I, I called it DB for kids, which was DB, the numeral four, and then kids with a Z. And it was, how can we get, you know, um, a, a room in every construction engineering company with books, which are books of construction engineering scenery, but it's male, female, it's different genders, different backgrounds, mm. to try and just give a little bit of normality to it. And, and ultimately now, you know, when I read Lockie, the construction books, because my son Lachlan absolutely loves construction, um, <laughs> But there are females driving the digger. There are females operating the cane, the, the crane. So it, it, normalizing, um, and rightfully so. So I think early on, but the work is being done. But certainly, you can try and bring more in. That's great. But you've also got to keep people in as well, and that's yeah. the problem at the end of the moment. Um, you know, just to talk a little bit more about attracting uh, and, and growing the talent pool. Um, when you're a child, you generally look, if you might ask most children, they say, I want to be a teacher, an astronaut, a firefighter, a police officer, because they're, they're the careers that are seen at that age group. But they also then talk about their mum and dad and what they do. Uh, yes. So if we're able to retain more mums in engineering construction careers, well, naturally what will probably happen a little bit is that there'll be more children in time that may wish to get involved. Workplace culture is everything. Um, and ultimately, everyone I speak to, you know, a lot of people talk about salary being the reason people work, work at places, work-life blend. A lot of it is down to the person they work alongside and the manager they report to. Mm-hmm. That is fundamentally the number one reasons why they come to work. Um, so culture is everything, but it's also understand what culture is. And, you know, I've, I've talked a long time around this professional culture, the vision, the mission, the values, the, the DNA of the business. And then there's a social culture, um, mm-hmm. which is the – the humans in the business and what the business does socially. So there's, there's two sort of sections for me in that, but um, yeah, culture is everything. Mm. Uh, I wonder, like, for example, I see that leaders in in the industry that we're in tend to be a little bit, you know, technical driven. Um, mm. And we do see a lot about um, people that are, probably better at the technical aspect more than people aspect. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, when you are part of a team, you want to have a leader. And especially mm. like when when your team has like different groups of minorities, those minorities might need more support. Mm. Um, have you come across any like leadership um, styles that have helped these minorities thrive? Or have you ever heard anything about a candidate that – that sort of like resonated with you or even at your workplace like do you have any tips for leaders to sort of like hmm. be a little bit more connected social aspect, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah look um leadership is a privilege it's a burden it's <laughs> hard right and we're also busy all the time and so when you promote leaders you need to ensure that as a leader myself you're providing them the framework to succeed and you're not just giving them an extra responsibility. Technical acumen is incredibly important, but if someone is technically astute and strong, but they have a leadership capability, you don't then go, okay, cool, keep doing what everything else you're doing and also do this as well mm. because you overwhelm them. Mm. And what I've seen in numerous construction engineering companies is the wrong people are leading. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've said it you know, in my own content that, I believe there's a lack of leadership, which is affecting the, the overriding issue in that people aren't being allowed to lead because they don't have the time and the pressure of delivering a project or, you know, the, the budgetary constraints aren't allowing for that. You know, and, and talking from my own personal experience in terms of recruitment, um, you know, they, they do say the best recruiters are not the best leaders and they're probably not. So I think, you know, as you develop your promotion framework, which we've done your career pathway, you provide clear opportunities for, and we call it a sector leadership or an individual contributor pathway, and then a people contributor pathway. And you start to have good career conversations with persons around what it is that genuinely gets them out of bed in the morning, what excites them. And if they start to exhibit 
uh, a want for people leadership. Why? And sometimes the issue being is they want it because it's a status, it's extra pay, but that's not why you should lead. You should lead so that you want to inspire and motivate. Um, and that's not easy to do. Um, so I think in any organization and some of the organizations that I've seen do it best is they've got technical leaders who do the technical part fantastically well, but keep them away from with respect to humans um, because that's not who they are, what they do. They're technically astute. And then you have people leaders, those that are doing the coaching conversations, the career conversations, the aspirational conversations, but also understanding that, you know, in our business, there's a time to manage, there's a time to coach, and there's a time to mentor. And they're three different functions. So sometimes even trying to get your manager to coach you, well, that's two different relationships with two different processes that you're going through. So, yeah, look, um, where I've seen it done best is where there's those technical leaders and then there's those people leaders and they're clearly defined roles in a, in a business. Um, and certainly that's what we're working towards. And But then, as I said, towards the start, it's not an added responsibility. you kind of got to go, well, what's the most important thing for the people leader is to inspire, motivate, develop others. So their, their role and responsibility should be purely focused on keeping colleagues on the journey, motivated, taking them out of those processes and times when they're feeling like they, they've got the pressure. Um, and a, a, a huge awareness on empathy and EQ, because EQ, oh, in the absence of EQ as a leader, well, you're going to struggle, that's for sure. Yeah, it's so true. I guess if I was listening to this as a someone who doesn't have too much context of the industry, um, a question that might come to mind is it sort of sounds like um, the best approach is to have people who go through like an engineering sort of study pathway get into the technical sector because mm. they would be technically sound. And if we want social leaders, maybe we should be recruiting non-engineers. Is that, do you reckon yeah. that's? Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, yeah. Some people want technical leaders and that's fine. You know, you yeah. kind of go to, you, you want your sugar hits from different places. But, you know, when you think about design and building the business and where we're going and not to get too into the where we're going part, but I strongly suspect that recruitment people won't lead this business in the future. I, I, I strongly yeah. believe there'll be a, a mix of the two. Yep. And even, as I said, my senior leadership group, it's not four state managers who are recruitment state managers, it's, the four state managers are head of people and culture, are head of marketing, are head of learning development, and our CFO. And that's why we've got a better diverse split in terms of male-female. Um, but certainly where I'm seeing some construction companies go more recently, for example, is they are hiring people who aren't construction professionals because you're not hiring them for their technical expertise. You're hiring them for their people yep. skills. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter whether or not they know whether that drawing's accurate or that. It doesn't matter because it's not about that in that conversation. Mm. So wow, someone so who's aspiring to yeah. lead, yeah, like they could genuinely go down a business pathway and, and they shouldn't um, exclude engineering companies from places they can apply to because mm. they yeah. would be, be better suited as social leaders mm. in that but sense. But it's also construction engineering companies being open to that as well. Yes. In True. that, again, it's removing that preconditioned mindset of what got us here was going to get us to where we want to go because mm. my mindset is what got us here won't get us to where we want to go so it's being aware that okay for us to continue to grow and flourish and even from a perspective of you're know, looking to try and diversify the talent pool widen the talent pool well if you've got great leaders in your business who can coach and develop generally speaking we do say you can you can teach the skill you can't teach the will mm. so thinking about that and yep. so again they don't have to be a technical manager to inspire and motivate someone to get someone to want to take that next step or take them on that journey. That doesn't need to be a technical expert. Yeah. And I do think um, it's sort of like interesting because um, sharing the environment with people that are very like, you know, technical driven and they mm. do see things yeah. like this and square minded, yeah. <laughs> I call them. Um, it's yeah. sort of like challenging to bring up like, the concept of like, oh, you're going to have a leader, but this leader doesn't actually have a background in what you do. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind. They don't know what we do. They don't understand what we do. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And again, um, but that starts from the board or the owners mm. appointing a CEO, a general manager, a COO who isn't industry and making that clear mark of this is what got us here, but this isn't going to get us to where we want to go. Mm. And... I think you'll quickly see that those technical people, they'll get better at what they do. 
And so they'll feel like they're growing because they're getting better at what they do because they're not taking on that responsibility, which isn't in their DNA. Yeah. And like I said, my best man was an engineer. I love engineers, but engineers are engineers. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. We are. <laughs> but I like how you mentioned um, that, you know, doing what we did up until now is not going to get us where we need to be. Mm. Um, and I think inherently there are biases involved in people already, you know, in higher people who've been in this industry for a very long time. Mm. Um, mm. So we've heard some practices like um, blind resume hiring, I think mm. it is, where names mm. are removed and that yeah. sort of thing. And is that a, do you think it's just an interim fix until we get to where we need to be, but B, um, does it actually improve likelihood of a female being hired or um, anyone? <laughs> True. Look, um, <laughs> how candid can I speak in this? Um, clearly, with organisations wanting to diversify their talent pool, the irony of a blind resume is that, and I, say, I speak this openly, is that might affect the thinking. Because ultimately, if you're making every resume blind, well, then they're not. Some companies, and I say this candidly, will be like, "Okay, cool. Are they male or female, or that what you know? What are their backgrounds?" And so, I'm seeing some organisations look for that, and other organisations are going the other way, which is actually we want to positively um, discriminate, if that's what they want to call it. But we want a 40-40-20 split, okay, a 40 or 45-45-10 split. Um, so I'm probably seeing more of that, which is what we what expect to see is a shortlist, which is mm -hmm. diverse. Um, which isn't the top five. It's, okay, 45, 45, 10. Um, but I'm not seeing many organisations have that level of um, will right now. And I think that's been driven by, obviously, the talent shortage that we've experienced. Um, it's been super hard for two, three years now oh, wow. um, to identify any good talent whatsoever. Um, it's been very, very hard to find people. And regrettably, for the most part, what we have seen is employers want, this is the brief. You must meet the brief to hire that person. And I think that comes from a lack of ability to train and develop people. So I don't think there's necessarily a, I don't want to hire people from different backgrounds. Yeah, It's, I can't, because I don't have the time to embed them in the business and actually help them assimilate into way, the way that we do business. And that's, for, for me, a lack of ability to lead and coach and mentor and manage and develop others because people are so time poor. Um, you know, and that's what I keep continue to see is people are working at 95%, 100%, which isn't sustainable. Um, so I'm not sure that necessarily answers your question, which is I am seeing it. I think it works in certain instances. But then we're also now seeing a lot of companies talk about a diverse split in terms of shortlist. And the only way to do that is by actually proving that you're providing a short, a short list, which is diverse. Mm. What do you think these practices, like, for example, the policies that we're seeing in Victoria of like building equity and like gender mm. quotas cause in the individuals um, in a workplace? Like, do you think this increase the biases or um, do you <laughs> think they're necessary? I mean, humans in our own nature are biased because we're preconditioned, you know, and that will take time. Um, to overcome and so and again I think about my lifetime hopefully it's not a lifetime but I do think it's generational and we're going to need to go through a journey on this and be realistic that as long as we're starting in the right places to bring more people into industry mm. over time that should address it but equally as per the topic we've got to retain them yes. so that when they're starting to enter their different phases of life the business is able to accommodate that as well Mm. You know, I'm talking obviously more about females and going on parental leave or, you know, anyone that's having children and the amount of slippage on the other side, you don't get them back in the industry because they just don't see it as a, an ongoing career. Mm. Um, so back to the quotas, I think, again, there is certainly a need for it and a place for it. Um, but then do I think it creates bias? Of course, because that's that's the intent in a sense yeah. of it. Um, what I think ultimately, the, a second point is, which I'm mindful about, is that I think there's plenty of engineers in Australia. There's just not ones that have been educated in Australia. Yeah. No. Before, um, I think, like I said, I don't think there's a, I don't want to. It's I can't because I don't have the time. I don't have the structure to enable it to happen yeah. in, internally. 
Um, so that's my other concern. And I do think that um, even sometimes when, like, for example, the uh, international people, that, that is an actual issue that we're having. And I, I don't know if it's organizations that don't want to or don't have the time. It's sometimes even to do with, like, government policies, you know. Like, mm. I had a visa, um, and I remember that I was in a bridging visa, which is, like, limbo. And no, mm-hmm. no organization would actually give you a contract. Mm. And then you like assess how the engineering and construction industry is like needing all these like people to be, um, to, to join. And then you see the government and you're like, how, why are you making it so hard for them to mm. get a job? Or I just mm. don't understand it and I'll never understand it. Yeah, um, yeah look, we can talk about government all we like, but um, <laughs> I mean, Ultimately, the decisions taken in the last, not just two, three years, but the last five, ten years have supercharged what is already a, an ongoing issue in terms of the lack of talent. Um, but, yeah, government's government and they make the decisions for what works yeah. for them. Um, going back to the um, retention issue that we have, mm-hmm. um, do you think it's an issue that it's like a younger generation issue or... So for context, we were sitting with a few other people who had interviewed and they were Mm. mentioning that organizations these days are really struggling to have the younger um, pool stay long. Like Mm. it just seems like the culture has become shifting companies, Mm. whereas back in the day you would see people stay at one company for like 20, 30 years, no question about it. So do you think that's primarily the retention issue at the moment? Yeah, look, I mean, that's one of them, but ultimately Mm -hmm. it is what it is. I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, people have got a right within the early phases of life to go and live. I mean, the world's a big place. And what you should be thinking about is how do we create a boomerang effect, which mm. is, you know, you, you work here and you have your experience here and you go off and seek other experiences, but you make it such a good experience that they want to come back at some point. Mm. And so there's a little bit of, okay, you're not going to fix a generational change. You're not going to change the world and what it is now. It's a big, wide world. You can get anywhere, anytime. What you should be thinking about is how do we create a great experience whilst they are with us so that they become our advocate and so that when they do exit, they talk about their experiences with their other colleagues and their other colleagues come back to you. Mm. Um, you know, and um, I think um, you know, recruitment's got a very high turnover rate. And what's been on my mind for a long time is how do we become seen as the talent factory of recruitment? I know that sounds a bit odd. But it's genuinely, you know, I think about certain companies in recruitment that you go, they've worked there, they're going to be good. Mm. And they talk about their experiences at that company and it makes other people go, do you know what, actually, I think I need a bit of that experience. I need some time there. And so whilst obviously I think there are obvious things you can do to try and increase retention at any age group, there's a little bit of, well, you know what, they're going to. A person who's come out of university and, worked hard and they've come in, they've done their, you know, the, an early engineer role or drafting, whatever it is, and then they go, I want to go to Europe for a year or two. Off you go. Go. You need to. You need to live as a, in, in your early phases of life because then you get married, have kids, and then, <laughs> then four days in Singapore is hard. Sorry. I'm a couple of directors groups externally with lots of different industries, and, you know, we, 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 we acknowledge that. This is a generational change. And so you've got two decisions okay. to try, try and fight it or embrace it. And for me, there's a little bit of embracing it. Um, mm. Clearly, there's ways you can interview people. There's things that you could do to try and reduce that churn. But kind of this, but this, is, this is what it is. But one of the messages that I've said to every client in the last two, three years is don't benchmark the last two years as a barometer of your retention because the last two, three years have been mental. Outlier. Yeah. 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 Like, let's be realistic yeah. and right sized. Look at five years before, mm. twice this three, and then look at the next five. Because, I mean, gosh, what, what that COVID was just insane in terms Honestly, of the lockdowns and the, the, the long COVID effects. Like, I keep reading, yeah. even like Harvard, Harvard Business Reviews or like uh, The Economist, they say, Okay, the, the year off and a couple of years like post were okay, but now people are like uh, documenting feeling even worse. Like at work, mm. they just they just haven't been able to bounce back, and mm. it's like mm. declined further. Yeah, yeah. And look, um, you know, obviously our parents didn't have media, didn't have mm. the instant news, and 
I think, you know, anyone who's watching media nowadays is constantly reminded the world's a horrible place and you might as well get every experience you can because it's going to end tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so all of these things affect a younger person. And obviously I've got many people in cost of living. Again, yes. I've sat in the kitchen with colleagues and they've talked about the rent they're paying and I'm just like, but then also there's a little bit, people want to live on their own and with one of a person now, whereas 20 years ago, you live with five people, six people, which is yeah. what it was. So again, generationally, the change is happening. So yeah, either fight it or embrace it. I think one of the issues that we currently have is like, you know, how remote working is affecting our mm. culture. And, mm. and that's one of the things that I think we probably won't have an answer until a few years mm. later. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think design and build is sort of like coping with that? I think um comes back to what we talked about in terms of leadership and understanding the why the office did work. Um, clearly, I believe there wasn't always a place for a, a, a good blend between office and home. Um, but ultimately, you learn through osmosis and um, is my view, and that's hearing the conversations that happen on the floor. I think as a leader, you're able to get a pulse check on how the room's feeling just as you walk in. Um, you know, those EQ, those those things that are unseen and unheard, you just get it when you walk in a room and say good morning and you only get a couple of mornings. Okay, I know the room, what it needs right now. And so, again, I'm talking because I'm in a more non-tangible, more dynamic environment. Um, whereas when you're trying to coach, manage, lead with a person who's on the other end of the screen and you don't really know what's going on in their world, they can put a face on for that period of time. It's very hard. Um, you know, COVID dehumanized a lot of things. Um, clearly the office, you know, the whole, what was it, Henry Ford must work. Da, 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 that. There's, there's certainly things that can be done better, that's for sure. And I think COVID was good for that and that it enabled us to get outside of the box because we had to. Mm. Um, but um, I also agree with what you said around people now trying to get back in a level of a box because actually the box wasn't necessarily broken. It could just be a little bit more rectangular and a little bit, you know, more fluid. Um, So I think again, um, but again, it comes back to purpose and how good are your leaders in your business talking about why a person and what they're put, what, what impact they're having. Mm. Because again, um, generationally it's a lot about purpose and meaning. I want my job to mean something. Well, with respect, if your job is at the early phases of your career, that's that's really hard to make a tangible outcome. But actually, when you start to talk to people about the impact these buildings or this infrastructure is going to have, not just now, but in the future, but also then giving them what else is a purpose of mentoring other people, taking taking that first steps of leadership. These are all the things that can be done. Um, but, yes, yeah, certainly um, I, I, I welcome a more normalised approach to, to the office um, because I certainly think there's definitely a place for it. And I think also we certainly stepped over the lines about working from home full time. I mean, I don't mm. know about you, but I was working 14, 15 hour days sometimes. Just, yeah, I was yeah. There's no, there's no separation. And I used to love getting on a train and book and it's almost forced you to do things that you wouldn't do at home. Yeah. read a book or listen to a podcast because you wanted to zone out and that zoning out was that separation that mental break between i'm at the office and now i'm at home mm. exactly and it primes so, your mind going mm. into work you're priming yourself to get into yeah. that that mindset yeah. work with people mm. and then you get that downtime mm. between work yeah. and home to like yeah. settle down mm. whereas now two, it's, yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah. No. yeah yeah i was gonna say i have two playlists one for going to work and one for coming home oh there you oh, go nice. all right and <laughs> was basically three songs and but those three songs meant something to me and it always got me in the right headspace going in oh. and then on the on the way home it's just very lovely the euphoric songs but it just makes me feel good so that I get back into the house and I'm like okay cool I've just got myself right sized okay, um, that is such a good tip I think just yeah. generally for anyone I think hugely beneficial to take on mm. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. tell you this I'll, I'll tell you one <laughs> Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson was one of them. Oh, that's such a good yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was because I was always like, you're the only person that you can beat is yourself. Yeah. So it was like, always look in the mirror. And if you want to change the world, start with yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One placement at a time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. But jumping back to um, progress of particularly, I know you talked about 
maternity leave and having women mm. come back after that just doesn't seem to happen as well. Mm. Um, do you think a lot of the issues around retention of women in particular usually occur around that period when like it's all good and then it's just before maternity leave and after? Or yeah, it- look, again, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a subject matter expert in this um, clearly, but um, is there a stigma of the person become disengaged because do you know what they're about to have a significant adult life event and they're judged for that? And then secondly, as that person comes in, well, they've changed in terms of what's happened in their life, and so priorities change as well. Um, but that shouldn't mean that the relationship should change, and it shouldn't also mean that what pathway was available to them pre becoming a parent to post should change on it should continue Mm. um and clearly you know and i've seen it firsthand a person taking parental leave and not being considered for a role which ultimately they just weren't considered for and weren't even liaised with during their their leave it's just not on that's not Mm. okay um that's really poor behavior and so um that for me is a good far way of disengaging um, mm. a potential high performer from returning to your business. So, um, you know, how organisations address that is up to them. But um, certainly I think the ex- it's not an exit. They're not leaving. They are going to do something which is incredible. And so then how you remain in touch with them, but consider them for opportunities during that time. Um, yep. Again, I'm, I'm an employer. I have people take parental leave. But certainly if an opportunity came up for leadership, I would want them to know. Yeah. And, and I, I would probably, I don't know if I'd cross a boundary. If they'd been you know, on leave for three months, I still want them to know. Just so they knew that if they wanted to be part of this process, they were part of the process. And that it, it meant that the job with them was, was was waiting for them when they got back because they got the job, well, fine. Wow. But they should know. Mm. So it sounds more like it's a... Uh... Oh, sorry, the word is escaping me. <laughs> a perception issue at the end of the day from the people who have like who are not obviously on leave. They're just assumed. And I think this is sort of like a recurring theme when I've talked to other um, females mm. who have taken parental leave. And we did interview um, a particular lady as well. And she said the um, amount of time it takes to become like, obviously, there's a small gap, but the amount of time it takes for you to completely get back in the groove and remember all the technical mm. stuff is like a few weeks at best, two to three, mm. nothing major. But it's the assumption that people feel like mm. the time off has just completely derailed you is mm. is the, the bigger issue. Yeah, again, it's, pre, it's, it's preconditions and it's assumption. Mm. Mm. And um, everyone is built differently. Yeah. Everyone reacts differently. Um, but ultimately, they should be treated equally for any opportunity and anything that's happened in the business. Mm. Um, but certainly that person coming back in, they are fundamentally the still same person. But I think there's a little bit of, you know, and again, I'm thinking about it as we're talking as a business owner of when that person returns, <clears throat> what steps are you taking that first maybe two to four weeks to understand what does their career look like? What mm. career conversations are you having with them potentially at week four, week one? What, what steps should we be taking as a business to ensure that we are aligned. Mm, yeah. No assumptions are made. Because for some, they'll come in and say, well, actually, I'm really, this is what I would like to kind of do. Yeah. And for others, but actually, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So there's a bit of a, a realignment of a career conversation in the first week just to understand. Mm. But then a check in week four. Because again, you're, you're coming back to the workforce. You've not been working full time. Even with COVID again, you know, you come back to the office. How does it feel? What, what does good look like? So I think there's a little bit of, conversation needed there to ensure that you as an employer understand what your employee mm-hmm. is looking for I, I agree. No, no assumptions are made yeah 100 percent. i think again it comes to leadership because a yeah. lot of the times like you know and i've seen this at the workplace you have different personalities and there's always mm-hmm. like the introvert or like the person that probably needs more reassuring and if you don't have those conversations about like hey like what do you want your career to look like at this stage or if you don't help them uh, or support mm-hmm. them or show them that you are there um, it's very unlikely that they'll probably be proactive or have the initiative of approaching you 
because it's mm. still like, you know, they probably don't feel that that comes naturally to them. Mm. Um, so mm. I do think that leaders sort of like have to identify um, how they can play a role in, in mm. helping people with their career transition. Um, yeah. I do have a question because we are talking a lot about the corporate world, but for example, in construction, a lot of the, um, I guess, worries, I'm just going to say quotation worries uh, for leaders is that, you know, like they being on site or certain roles do require you a different level of commitment. Mm-hmm. And for example, females that are like going into maternity leave, um, they won't be able to do a role that is like, I don't know, construction phase support, for example, or something mm-hmm. like that. How do you think uh, the industry sort of like can help these individuals or is there any like flexibility that they can um, put in place for them? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a complex challenge, that's for sure. Um I'm not sure how well qualified I am to speak of how they might be able to look at the role and responsibilities and think about what's applicable to that to that person during that phase. Um, clearly, some organisations are now looking at job sharing um, and how they separate the roles so that the role the person is playing is completely suited to their skills mm. and their passion. Um, I think about it from a recruitment perspective and. To, Clearly, that's probably where my subject matter expertise lies in my business, again, is being realistic about, um, I wrote a piece of content years ago, which is we need more mums in leaders, leadership roles, a long, long, long time ago. And it's because my own mum was in a leadership role. Um, it's, I think, and again, I, I say this only because I've got a, a beautiful wife at home and a mum, there's nothing more determined than a mum, Right. So how you extract that level of determination out of them and that level of focus because they're not here to, and I'm not, I, I shouldn't swear, right, but they're not here to muck around. And what I've found is when a mum has returned to work at Design and Build, they're like, I'm here and I'm going to work 24-7. Well, I'm not 24-7, but I'm going to be on. For those yeah. seven, eight hours I'm here, I'm on. So you might not need me here five days a week because actually the three days you've got me, you've got me all in. Mm-hmm. So I think organisations need to definitely be more flexible, understand that. In my experience, um, return to work mums have been more determined than dads have ever been, to be fair. We're used to stuff. Love that. But um, from a technical perspective of construction, I'm probably not well qualified to speak of it. (laughs) But what does come to mind a little bit, again, is um, how are they developing those people over time? If if, if you've had a female employee who's come in in a trade-led role and they've done fantastically well for you, say, for a period of five to ten years, and they're still in a trade-led role when they take their parental leave. Well, have you developed them in the way to, to put them into a technical leader role so they can teach the skill to others? There's a little bit of, you know, when you when you find those diamonds in the rough, you know, those diamonds, those guns, whatever you want to call them, you're like, well, they should be the ones that you're focused on developing mm. and harnessing that skill and honing that skill so they can be an example to others. So that when they do then take that parental leave, they might not come back in the same role, but they come back in a technical-led role where they're mm. empowering and coaching others. So potentially yeah. that might be something to consider as we're talking. Um, but to the actual specific question, I'm probably not well qualified, but what I would say is um, for the most part, any mum that's returned to design and build has been an incredible colleague to work with because they have had determination through the roof. Yeah, that, that's, that's really beautiful. Yeah, honestly. It's beautiful to hear. It is a challenge. Look, I, I don't it think is. there's an answer. There's a straight answer, especially the type of work that we do in the construction industry is like literally analyzing, changing the nature mm. of our works, you know. So yeah. mm. it's a really difficult question. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. I thought I would ask. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it boils down to. Say again, sorry. When you find the answer, let us know. I've got, absolutely. That's <laughs> why we like work together, remember? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> But again, it boils down to how you're saying having um, leaders that are able to be social leaders and people oriented where they're not bogged down by the technical work they have to do where all the leadership Mm. is done on Mm. like the little tiny little dredges they have left of energy. Mm. So that has to be a big shift. But um, Mm. even in terms of like, okay, so someone gets in as a technical um, expert, but they see they want to do people leadership, maybe that's more where their passion lies. Mm. There's only like a few trainings and seminars that usually happen in terms of oh how to boost your eq or mm. un- 
remove your unconscious bias and then yeah. in like three days you're supposed to be an expert <laughs> <laughs> free webinars in but naturally you know as expected people would boil just boil down to the normal state of affairs how mm. can we train leaders to be better leaders mm. you know um look again talking through my own experiences mm. um I had two versions of leadership as a young person, my father and my mother. My mother was a, a senior practitioner in social care. My father was a senior leader in the military, so you can imagine his leadership style. He actually arrested me once. What? And my sister. Can you please share oh that? We need to no, have you here give, again. I'll, I'll give you the, the very, The very quick summary. I went to school on a bus. It was the army bus. Someone kicked the back window out. On the way back, we got stopped at the guard post. My father arrested the whole school bus. And then, obviously, my sister and I were on the bus. He then gave all the fathers extra duties. Um, but because his two children were on the bus, he worked Christmas Day on the gate post with the colonel of the camp and let everyone else have, have dinner with their families. And that was the example of leadership I saw in terms of accountability. That's amazing. Um, it's so it's amazing. very hard to teach leadership. You learn it through experience. Mm. And regrettably, you probably learn a lot through mistakes that you've made uh, along the way. Um, certainly for me, what helped was getting a, a business coach, um, someone who'd been there and seen it and done it. Um, I think as a business now, you know, we do a lot of, um, we have monthly sessions, workshops on what does leadership mean, um, understanding when your role is a manager, when your role is a coach and when your role is a mentor, and then also when you're playing the role of vision, mission, values. Um, EQ, I don't know whether or not you ever do develop high EQ or you just you just have it or it's just learned over time. And I absolutely agree. I think fundamentally you can go on a course for a period of time and be given some key takeaways. But generally speaking, you, you take one thing away from most courses and then a couple of things to consider. Um, so I think it's learning through experience, but then having a really good, manager or leader that you sit down with once a month and you go in and say these are my issues these are my opportunities i'm thinking about these are decisions i've got to make and you unpack that with them most importantly you do not give they do not give you the answer mm -hmm. they just keep saying what's your issue what's your problem what's on your mind and what's the real problem here and you get a really good coach and it took me a long time to find that person and as a result of that i made a few mistakes along the way but i got through um so i think again um experience is, is critical um, and, and time in the role is, is a one important and then having a, a good coach, just someone that keeps you accountable, but doesn't give you the answers. Mm. And again, when you think about a lot of organizations and businesses, the problem is most of the time people get given the answers. Honestly. Yeah. Especially as engineers, you're so solution oriented that you just hear a problem. Mm. You're like, this is your answer. Just deal with it. Yeah. yeah. You don't let people yeah. get to that themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it's pretty interesting. I think there's um there's a there's a there's a TED talk which is um stop feeding the advice monster and it's about how you reframe your sessions your coaching to be mm. very much about what what else what else what else and then eventually mm. so what's the real problem here and just trying to tame your own advice monster it's called and again you know nice. it's really easy to just give someone the answer but they don't grow and your job as a leader is to grow and develop others. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think another thing that uh, you mentioned throughout this conversation was about empathy. And, and I mm. do think that we, because we come to work and we sort of like, you know, get into this character mode of like, Lao is at work sort of thing. You, mm. you sometimes, it, well, you just sort of like switch off the empathy, the vulnerability, like you just see people for like workers and yeah. a good leader actually takes the time to have that vulnerable conversation with you, develop that trust. Mm. And once you have those things, again, like it's easier to sort of like understand what your issues are. Um, mm. Or, you know, I, I think empathy mm. is a big one when it comes to diversity and inclusion and for like all the societal issues that we're having at the moment. Mm. It's just that we don't really know how to put in like someone else's shoes. Yeah, look, in my, my probably number one failure in, in my leadership journey was at the start of COVID. I'd had a little boy. Lachlan was born on the 11th of March. She was in hospital for a week, and then we went into lockdown. And we had to have a couple of big conversations with the group. 
And I completely failed at understanding what they were going through because I was so about me at the time. I was like, this is happening to me. This is so bad for me. And I forgot about the 45 people at the time who had their own stuff going on. And I tried to go with the stoic, we'll be fine. We'll get through this. Not the, you know what, this is really crap. How are you? Like, I just completely forgot about everyone else. Um, and, I, you know, again, you can't change the past. You can't. I reflect on that and I'm, I'm, I sort of always say, you know, what's going on with them? What's happening with them right now? How do you try to find out that first before you go to the next phase of conversation? Because like you said, society is tough. And I think now more than ever, we are consistently bombarded with negative. And our minds are relatively wired that way as yeah. well. So trying to keep people above the line well, that starts with you, mm. even above the line. And so empathy, yeah, it's A1, you know, critical, but you have to get your mind right as well. And if you're not right, even this morning when I came into the office, I wasn't actually that right. So I just took myself to the meeting room and didn't speak to him for about half an hour just to try and reset myself. Because, again, everything you do and everything you say as a leader is, is felt. Mm-hmm. And so it's so contagious that ultimately, if you start that conversation the wrong way because you're not right, well, you're going to lose that person. Mm. I like that you. Oh, sorry. Uh, Lau, do you have anything? No, you yeah. go. Okay. I was just so excited that you mentioned that, you know, you can take time off to try to reset yourself because often you hear mm. like one, um, you get into one little thought and it can send you on a little spiral and it just ruins mm. like your whole day. Um, do you mm. have any tips for someone who's listening who's like, probably wants um, to be able to reframe being very aware of yourself obviously is a one important but even when you lose awareness um i think structuring any morning is really important <laughs> um you know um but being realistic that that might well obviously i'm a parent so my structure is burn out the water um you learn it over time because generally what will happen is you'll walk in and you'll give someone a spray and then they'll walk away and you'll think to yourself you horrible human being yeah. and you'll regret it and you go I won't do that again then you'll probably do it again <laughs> um, but over time you just think about putting your hat on and again my coach always said when you walk into the room you put your coach your director hat on you are the managing director so everything you say and everything you do is is felt in what you don't do yeah well um, true and again you know there's been some examples recently where a colleague of mine said you're so calm I was like I'm like a duck from uh-huh. above the water busy below because again panic breeds panic um and as a leader you've always got to keep above the line but acknowledge why that person will be below the line but it's hard because we're human beings Mm -hmm. it's really hard leadership and so again there's a little bit of and this is all related to retention and and, and attraction because ultimately the wrong leaders destroy um, cultures um, it's just to understand how complex it is because humans, we're, we're, we're complex. We're very complex. Very. Even the wrong culture as an industry in general. Mm. Um, and often, like, I see that happening more and more. Like, it's almost like a race to zero. Everyone is trying to bid the lowest amount and, mm. you know, oh, we'll recover it later. But it's a, it's a lot of pressure for low-cost deliverables, mm. essentially. Yeah. And do you think that's kind of increasing a culture of stress? Yeah, throughout the whole industry yeah. and is a primary reason for retention issues. Yeah, of course, it's 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 a, it's a massive drive. Ultimately, mm. um, you know, to rewind back slightly, no one gets into engineering to make money. Mm. They get into engineering because it inspires them. You know, the idea of creating something is just whew, it blows is. their mind, right? And then they get, and this is as a business owner, you know, you start it and you start a business because you're so passionate about your industry and your, 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 your field of expertise. And then you start to hire people and you learn about the other side of leadership or engineering. Um, but the margin pressure, you know, I speak to all of my, my colleagues and I've got obviously many friends in the industry. It's just huge, mm-hmm. just huge. And it's um, a constant race to the bottom. And obviously there's been a lot of commentary around the profitless boom in the last two, three years. And, I've seen too many good companies and too many good people get wiped out as a result of this last two, three years. Um, as to what the fix is, clearly there are fixes, but whether or not there's a will, mm. I don't know. Because, again, my general impression is there's always someone willing to go lower. 
Exactly, um, exactly. So yeah. Unless you, you create a bottom line and just say that's it, that 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 you know, again I've I've had people fit out this office and I've said that's your margin. I don't want you to move into it. I need you to come into this job and make money. Hmm. Because again, obviously I I run a business that makes money. I want people to make money, Exactly. You know, <laughs> so um but again I obviously I don't think anyone could have controlled the last two years. A lot of true. The, the last two years in terms of the, the, the pressure of material, cost, logistics, mm, supply chain. Supply chain. Mm. Yeah, exponential. Um, and obviously I've spoken to CEOs about a number of subcontractors going into administration, the pain that causes. A mm. lot of uncontrollables in yeah, there. Um, but affected by maybe a, a level of the opportunity was so great, people just grabbed it. Mm. And now they're going, oh, wish I hadn't grabbed it. But it was an opportunity for growth and, and many took it. At least it'll be an opportunity for learning at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every day is a school day. Yes. Every day is a school day. I like that. Every should day is a school day. Probably should have done that, but I did it anyway. <laughs> and I think that's important to also highlight, you know, we stigmatize making mistakes, and I think yeah. that's the only way we can learn. Um, mm-hmm. And even if you are a senior, if you made a mistake, mm-hmm. you're like, Another lesson. Yeah. Another lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Look, as long as it's learned. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately for me, the lessons that I learned aren't necessarily fatal. Obviously, there's some industries where the lessons learned oh. can't be learned twice. Yeah. Um, so any compromise on quality or safety, you know, it, it, it is just non non acceptable. Mm. Um, whereas I'm in the fortune industry where I, yeah, the mistakes I made aren't going to change yeah. anyone's lives tomorrow. Yeah. Well. Well. Andy, it's been a pleasure, <laughs> an absolute pleasure. It has been um, so much food for thought. Yes. Mm. Um, I guess I, I don't have any other questions, uh, serious questions, but I really enjoy that you share your story about how you were arrested. <laughs> and we do have like um, a section in the podcast um, that is a little bit of fun questions that sort of like re- – <laughs> Just you love it, that everything that we talked about. Um, and I would like to ask you, what's next for you in your personal and I guess professional life? Because at the start you were sort of mentioning, I don't want to like go to future. What's future? So I do want you to sort of like tell yeah. Us. Look, um, professionally, we're looking forward to um, looking at a couple of new businesses for us in the next little while. Um, What's most exciting is that recently we've appointed Sam, who works for us currently, into a national lead for energy. So there's going to be mm. some um, considered and decisive moves for us to supply, to provide um, solutions to the energy and particularly renewable industry, which is super exciting. Um, personally, um, what's really exciting is coming at this four-month haze of lack of sleep. <laughs> um, I was up from one till five and then quarter to six till now last oh, night. So that's, that was too fun. Um, but um, personally, just looking forward to seeing my children grow and mm. now knowing what I know about Lachlan in the first three years, really looking forward to Eloise growing up as well. And um, yeah, looking, I think looking forward to a bit more of a normal economy, hopefully, mm. um, albeit haven't done it for as long as I have. I'll just take one day at a time um, because certainly um, what we're doing today could change tomorrow. But, um, but no, I think and also just making sure that as a leader, you know, I, I continue to learn and grow and talking specific to this issue is helping businesses understand about what really does help people want to stay at a company and what attracts them as well. Um, and just being helping people be a bit realistic the last two years. Don't benchmark your business in the last two, three years. Um, there's too many, like, you know, we said, oh, there's too many variables. Um, put it in a box. Okay, what did we learn? What can we do even better if? And work mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Really good advice. I was going to ask you what is your advice, but the whole podcast is an advice. I know obviously probably haven't got onto too many tactics around obviously retention um, attraction strategies. We've got heaps of them available to people, so I could probably share them with, you, with yourselves. Yes, please. Um, because obviously they, they all help. But ultimately, if you don't have the right people in the room, they're kind of, they're, they're not, they're not that important. It's the yeah. people. 
It's true. Yeah, it reminds me of that picture. I don't know if you've seen like when you're trying to set out the steps you need to have and sometimes it's like a ladder and someone's mm. trying to jump up and the first rung is just so high up that mm. it's impossible trying to even get there. So it's like you're missing that base step. Yeah. yeah. Steps of success. Have a, a person on each step to help each other climb the steps together. Yeah. yeah. And I guess for any of the listeners, if they do want to sort of like answer the questions about how to retain their employees, we're going to leave the link um, in the episode description for um, the design and build website. And they yeah. will help your business to retain and attract your your people, yeah. good people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just released the white paper as well. So that's really insightful. Yeah. Awesome. No, you guys have such good information. Honestly. Like all the reports that you do, um, we do um, have them and we create content awesome. from them because they are really good. I share them at work as well. For example, for um, the Pride Month, I sort mm-hmm. of like talked about the LGBTQI report that mm-hmm. you guys had because it's really important content that should be mm-hmm. spread across the industry. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Right, we'd love to see you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you and, so, so um, much. Hopefully we can do another episode. <laughs> I look forward to it. Anytime. Thank you. <laughs>